Red Salute. Welcome to the Manifestering Podcast. If you want to support this project, which allows me more time to produce and release content, you can do so on my website, manifesteringpodcast.com. There's a link to my Patreon, as well as a donation button that allows you to just donate through the site itself. You can also do so on my anchor.fm page. Just search for Manifestering Podcast. Thanks so much for helping me keep revolutionary media alive. Build Armed Partisan Struggle by Fighting Against Revisionism, 1966. During the last two years, the spontaneous struggles of the petty bourgeois youths and students have created a stir from one end of India to another. Although at the beginning the demand for food was the main demand, but gradually the demand for ousting the Congress government has become the main slogan. Chairman Mao has said, quote, the petty bourgeois students and youth are a part of the people, and at the inevitable conclusion of their struggle, the struggle of the workers and peasants will reach a high tide, unquote. So hardly had the struggle of the students and the youth ended, the peasant struggle has begun in Bihar. Hundreds of peasants are harvesting and carrying away the crops. They are seizing the hoarded stocks of crops of landlords. This struggle is bound to spread in the coming days to West Bengal and other states. The government is resorting to violent repression to suppress the agitating peasants. Chairman Mao has said, quote, Where there is oppression, there is bound to be resistance against it, unquote. So we are witnessing spontaneous resistance in the struggles of the students and youth. The peasants of Bihar are carrying on resistance spontaneously. The official spokesmen are repeatedly declaring that they would resort to further repressive policies to preserve peace and order. So the responsibility of consciously building up resistance struggles has come up before the revolutionary working class and its party. This era is the era of active resistance movement. Active resistance movement will open up the source of the revolutionary genius of the revolutionary masses. It will spread the tide of revolution all over India. So in this age, to lead legal trade union or peasant association movement can never be the main task before the revolutionary cadres. Trade union or peasant association, Kisan Sabah movement, cannot be the main supplementary force in the present age of revolutionary tide. It would not be correct to draw from this conclusion that trade unions or peasant associations have become outmoded. For trade unions and Kisan Sabahs are basically organizations to build up unity between Marxist-Leninist cadres and working class and peasant masses. This unity will be consolidated only when Marxist-Leninist cadres move forward in the work of building up the Revolutionary Party among the working class and peasant masses with the tactics of revolutionary resistance movement. The revolutionary working class and Marxist-Leninist cadres will have to go forward in the face of peasant struggles to give active leadership to the peasant struggles through resistance or, quote, partisan, unquote, struggles. The reactionary government of India has adopted the tactics of killing the masses. They are killing them through starvation and with bullets. Chairman Mao has said, quote, This is their class character. They launch attacks on the people, even at the risk of being defeated, unquote. 
There are some leaders who face these indiscriminate murders, get scared, and seek protection. Chairman Mao has said about them, quote, they are cowards and unworthy of revolutionary leadership, unquote. There is another group of people who boldly face death. They try to avenge every murder. They alone are revolutionaries, and it is they who can show the masses the path. Apparently, the government might look powerful because it has in its hands food and arms. The people do not have food, and they are unarmed. But it is the unity and firm spirit of these unarmed masses that smash all the arrogance of reaction and make the revolution successful. So Chairman Mao has said, quote, the reactionary force is actually a paper tiger, unquote. In the present era, our main task will be on the basis of three main slogans. First, unity of workers and peasants. This unity does not mean that the workers and petty bourgeois masses will give only moral support to the peasant movement. This slogan means the realization that the peasants are the main force of the revolution in a semi-colonial and semi-feudal country like India. The unity of peasants and workers can grow only on the basis of class struggle. So on the question of seizure of state power, Chairman Mao has said, quote, It is the liberated area in the countryside which is the concrete application of workers' peasants' unity, unquote. So it is the responsibility of the workers, and particularly of the petty bourgeois masses, to develop peasants' movement for building liberated areas. So Chairman Mao has told petty bourgeois students and youth about movement, quote, whether they are revolutionaries can be determined only by how much they become participants of this movement, unquote. Those who will not participate in this movement have the danger of becoming reactionaries. Secondly, the revolutionary resistance movement, armed struggle. The reactionary government of India has declared war against every struggle for democratic demands of the masses. Inside India, it has created a playground for imperialist and feudal exploitation, and in its foreign policy, it has turned India into a base of reaction in collaboration with imperialism and modern revisionists. The people of India have become rebellious against this intolerable situation. In this situation, the revolutionary resistance movement or armed partisan struggle of the revolutionary Marxist-Leninist party against reaction and the passive resistance movement of the revisionist party have today become the main part of the party's politics. So every party member and revolutionary cadre will have to grasp this tactic of struggle. They should learn to practice it and temper the revolutionary spirit of the masses through propaganda among the masses. The success of the struggle is depending on how far we can popularize the politics of armed struggle through propaganda of it among the masses. Thirdly, the building up of a revolutionary party. In this revolutionary situation in India today, our party organization is not capable of giving leadership. Without being firm in theory, clear in politics, and without a mass base and respective organization, it is impossible to give leadership in this revolutionary age of today. 1. On the theoretical question. It should be remembered that the party leadership of the world's first socialist state, the Soviet Union, has been captured by a revisionist clique. As a result, revisionist influence has fallen on the communist parties of different countries of the world. 
In our country, also this revisionist influence was felt. The need for forming a separate party was felt. And as a result of that, a separate party was formed at the Seventh Congress. The formation of a separate party does not mean that the fight against revisionism has ended. Revisionism speaks of fighting against imperialism, feudalism, and the reactionary force, but in deeds, it widens the path of collaboration with these forces. Marxism-Leninism firmly opposes these forces, avenges their every attack, and mobilizing the masses through long-drawn struggle alone destroys these reactionary forces. The old ideas become manifest in one, not accepting the leadership of the great Chinese party against international revisionists. Two, in not accepting the new developing forces. Three, in not making the working class conscious of this new realization. Four, in not aiding the struggle of the peasantry, which is the main ally of the working class. Two, political. The People's Democratic Revolution will have to be seen as the task of this moment. Chairman Mao has said, quote, No dying force gives up its power easily. Freedom comes out only from the barrel of a gun, unquote. So in our politics, the main part will be armed struggle for seizure of power. The common people have started this armed struggle spontaneously. The main aim of our politics will be to establish consciously this armed struggle on mass base. The basic three points are, one, worker-peasant unity under the leadership of the working class. Two, consciously establishing armed struggle on mass base. And three, firmly establish the leadership of the Communist Party. It is imperative not to leave aside any of these three tasks. This politics will have to be propagated extensively among the masses. 3. Organizational The mass base of the party will have to be extended. We have seen during the last few years, thousands of militant cadres have come to join the work of the organization during different movements and struggles, try to give leadership to the struggles, but the moment the movement stops, they again become inactive. Today, in the age of the revolutionary upsurge, people of many backward areas are coming forward on the road of struggles, and it is through those struggles that many young militant cadres are joining the work of the organization. If we can educate these cadres in our revolutionary theory and politics, the party can get its mass base. We shall have to begin working boldly on collecting these cadres and on forming secret groups with them. These cadre groups will carry on political propaganda and will act as units of armed struggle. The striking power of the party depends on how far we are able to form these groups in increasing numbers among workers and peasants. With whom we are forming the groups and organizational details like shelter, dumps, etc. should certainly be kept secret. But our theories, politics, and the slogan of party formation must never be kept secret. In the age of armed struggle, every party unit must be participants in the armed struggle and be a self-reliant leader. The general elections are coming. During these elections, these discontented people desire to and will listen to politics. Before the elections, every party will try to propagate their politics among the masses. 
we shall have to take advantage of these elections to propagate our politics. Let us not be confused by the false slogan of non-Congress democratic government. We shall have to take to the masses courageously the politics of our people's democratic revolution, that is, the politics of worker-peasant unity under working-class leadership, of armed struggle, of establishing the leadership of the party. If we fully take advantage of this, it will not be possible for any leftist leader to oppose us. We shall have to take full advantage of this opportunity. Carry Forward the Peasant Struggle by Fighting Revisionism 1966 In the post-election period, our apprehensions are being proved correct by the actions of the party's CPIM leadership itself. The Politburo has directed us to, quote, carry on the struggle to defend the non-Congress ministries against reaction, unquote. This suggests that the main task of Marxists is not to intensify the class struggle, but to plead on behalf of the cabinet. So a convention of party members was convened to firmly establish economism within the working class. Immediately thereafter, an agreement for a truce in industry was signed at the cabinet's initiative. Workers were asked not to resort to Garaus. What could be more naked expression of class collaboration? After giving the employers full right to exploit, the workers are being asked not to wage any struggle. Immediately after the Communist Party joined the government that was installed as a result of a mighty mass movement, the path of class collaboration was chosen. The Chinese leaders predicted long ago that those who had remained neutral in the international debate would very soon take to the path of opportunism. Now, the Chinese leaders are saying that these advocates of a neutral stand are in reality revisionists, and they would soon cross over to the reactionary camp. In our country, we are experiencing how true is this prediction. We have witnessed the betrayal of the working class. To this is to be added the announcement of the Communist Party leader, Hare Krishna Konar. In the beginning, he promised that all vested lands would be distributed among the landless peasants. Then the quantity of land to be distributed was slashed. In the end, he informed that the existing arrangement would be left undisturbed this year. Remission of land revenue was left to the mercy of junior land reforms officers, JLROs. The peasants were shown the path of submitting petitions. They were further told that forcible seizure of land would not be permitted. Hare Krishna Babu is not only a member of the Communist Party's Central Committee, he is also the secretary of the Krishak Sabha in West Bengal. It was in response to the call of the Krishak Sabha, led by him, that the peasants had waged a struggle for recovery of vested and Banami land in 1959. In the interest of landowners, the government had resorted to repression and had given decisions in favor of eviction, yet the peasants had not given up possession of land in many cases and had stuck onto the land on the strength of village unity. Did the Krishak Sabal leader support their movement after becoming a minister? No. The meaning of what he said was that vested land would be redistributed. Who will get it? On this point, the JLROs would seek the Krishak Sabah's views. But would such views be accepted? No such assurance has been given by Hare Krishna Babu. But if the JLROs reject the Krishak Sabah's views, the peasants would under no circumstances be permitted to occupy the land forcibly. 
Hare Krishna Babu lost no time in making himself clear on this point. What is this? Is it not acting like a bill collector of the government and Joe Dars? Even congressmen would have not dared plead on behalf of the feudal classes so unashamedly. Therefore, obeying the instructions of the party leaders would mean blindly accepting the feudal class as exploitation and rule. So the responsibility of the communist is to expose the anti-class and reactionary rule of this leadership to party members and to the people, to hold on to the principle of intensifying class struggle and march ahead. Suppose the landless and poor peasants accept Hare Krishna's Babu's proposal and submit petitions. What will happen then? Some of the vested lands are no doubt fallow, but most of it is cultivable land. There are peasants in possession of such lands. Today, they are enjoying the land by virtue of licenses, or they are giving a share to Jotdars. When that land is redistributed, it will inevitably result in frictions among poor and landless peasants. Taking advantage of this, rich peasants will establish their leadership over the entire peasant movement, because as the rich peasant has opportunities for canvassing, so also he is a partner of feudal influence. Therefore, Hare Krishna Babu is not only trying to forsake the path of struggle today, but he is also taking steps so that the peasant struggle may not become militant in the future. Yet we have adopted the program of a people's democratic revolution, and the task of that revolution is to carry out land reforms in the interest of the peasants. Land reform in the peasants' interest is possible only when we are able to put an end to the sway of the feudal classes over the rural areas. To do this, we shall have to seize land from the feudal classes and distribute it among the landless and poor peasants. We shall never be able to do this if our movement is confined to the limits of economism. In every area where there has been a movement for vested land, it is our experience that the peasant who has got possession of vested land and secured the license is no longer active in the peasant movement. What is the reason? It is because the poor peasant's class has changed within a year. He has turned into a middle peasant. So, the economic demands of poor and landless peasants are no more his demands. Therefore, Economism causes a breach in the unity of fighting peasants and makes the landless and poor peasants frustrated. Advocates of economism judge every movement by the quantity of paddy and mounds or land and bagas that the peasant gets. Whether the peasant's fighting consciousness is increased or not is never their yardstick. So they do not make any effort to raise the peasant's class consciousness. Yet we know that no struggle can be waged without making sacrifices. Chairman Mao has taught us that where there is struggle, there is sacrifice. At the initial stage of the struggle, the strength of reaction must be greater than the strength of the masses. Therefore, the struggle will be protracted. Since the masses are the progressive force, their strength will increase day after day, but as the reactionary forces are moribund, their strength will decline steadily. So, no revolutionary struggle can be successful unless the masses are roused to make sacrifices. From this basic revolutionary outlook, economism leads on to the blind alley of bourgeois outlook. This is what the party leaders are trying to achieve through their activities. A review of all our past peasant struggles will show that the party leaders have imposed compromises on the peasants from above. Yet it was the responsibility of party leadership to establish the fighting leadership of the working class over the peasant movement.
They did not do this before. They are not doing it even now. Now they are suggesting reliance on laws and the bureaucracy. Lenin has said that even if some progressive legislation is enacted, but bureaucracy is given the charge of implementing it, the peasants will get nothing. So, our leaders have gone a long distance off the revolutionary path. Agrarian revolution is the task of this very moment. This task cannot be left undone, and without doing this, nothing good can be done for the peasants. But before carrying out agrarian revolution, destruction of state power is necessary. Striving for agrarian revolution without destruction of state power means outright revisionism. So, the destruction of state power is today the first and principal task of peasant movement. If this cannot be done on a countrywide, statewide basis, will the peasants wait silently? No. Marxism-Leninism Mao Zedong thought has taught us that if in any area the peasants can be roused politically, then we must go ahead with the task of destroying state power in that area. This is what is known as peasants' liberated area. The struggle for building up this liberated area is the most urgent task of the peasant movement today, a task of this moment. What shall we call a liberated area? We shall call that peasant area liberated from which we have been able to overthrow the class enemies. For building up this liberated area, we need the armed forces of the peasants. When we speak of the armed force, we have in mind the arms made by the peasants. So also we want arms. Whether the peasants have come forward to collect alms or not is the basis on which we shall judge whether they have been politically roused. Where from shall the peasants get guns? The class enemies have guns and they live in the village. Guns have to be taken forcibly from them. They will not hand over their arms to us voluntarily. Therefore, we shall have to seize guns forcibly from them. For this, peasant militants will have to be taught all tactics, right from setting fire to the houses of class enemies. Besides, we shall secure guns from the armed forces of the government by attacking them all on a sudden. The area in which we are able to organize this gun collection campaign shall quickly be transformed into a liberated area. So, for carrying out this task, it is necessary to propagate extensively among the peasants the politics of building up armed struggle. It is, moreover, necessary to organize small and secret militant groups for conducting the gun collection campaign. Simultaneously, with propagating the politics of armed struggle, members of these groups will try to successfully implement specific program of gun collection. Mere collection of arms does not alter the character of struggle. The guns collected have to be used. Only then will the creative ability of the peasants develop and the struggle will undergo a qualitative change. This can be done only by poor and landless peasants, the firm ally of the working class. The middle peasant is also an ally, but his fighting consciousness is not as intense as that of poor and landless peasants. So he cannot be a participant in the struggle right at the beginning, he needs some time. That is why class analysis is an essential task for the Communist Party. The great leader of China, Chairman Mao Zedong had, therefore, taken up this task first and was able to point out infallibly the path of revolutionary struggle. So the first point of our organizational work is establishing the leadership of poor and landless peasants in the peasant movements. It is in the process of organizing peasant movement on the basis of the politics of armed struggle 
that the leadership of the poor and landless peasants will be established. Because, of the peasant classes, they are the most revolutionary. A separate organization of agricultural laborers will not help this task. Rather, a separate organization of agricultural laborers encourages the trend towards trade union movement based on economism and intensifies conflict among the peasants. The unity of the allied classes is not strengthened because in our agricultural system, the exploitation of feudal classes is foremost. Another question that comes up in this very context is that of compromise with small owners. What shall be the communist outlook in this regard? In regard to compromises, we shall have to consider whom do we support. So, we cannot support any other class as against them. In the peasant movement in India, the communists have always been compelled to give up the interests of poor and landless peasants in the interest of the petty bourgeoisie. This weakens the fighting determination of the poor and landless peasants. In regard to middle and rich peasants, also we should have a different stand. If we look upon rich peasants as middle peasants, the poor and landless peasants will be frustrated. Again, if we look upon middle peasants as rich peasants, the fighting enthusiasm of the middle peasants will diminish. So, the communists must learn to make class analysis of peasants in every area in accordance with Chairman Mao's instructions. Again and again, the unrest among the peasants of India has burst forth. They have repeatedly sought guidance from the Communist Party. We have not told them that the politics of armed struggle and the gun collection campaign constitute the only path. This path is the path of the working class, the path of liberation, the path of establishing a society free from exploitation. In every state throughout India, the peasants are today in a state of unrest. The communists must show them the path. That path is the politics of armed struggle and the gun collection campaign. We must firmly uphold this one and only path of liberation. The great cultural revolution of China has declared a war on all kinds of selfishness, group mentality, revisionism, talism of the bourgeoisie, eulogy of bourgeois ideology. The blazing impact of that revolution has reached India also. The call of that revolution is, quote, be prepared to resolutely make all kinds of sacrifices, Remove the obstacles along the path one by one. Victory shall be ours, unquote. However terrible the appearance of imperialism, however ugly the snare laid by revisionism, the days of the reactionary forces are numbered. The bright sun rays of Marxism, Leninism, Mao Zedong thought shall wipe off all darkness. So the question naturally arises, is there no need for peasants' mass struggle on partial demands in this era? Certainly the need is there, and will also be there in the future. Because India is a vast country, and the peasants are also divided into many classes, so political consciousness cannot be at the same level in all areas, and among all the classes. So there will always be the opportunity for, and possibility of, peasants' mass movement on the basis of partial demands, and the communists will always have to make full use of that opportunity. What tactics shall we adopt in conducting movements for partial demands, and what shall be their objective? The basic point of our tactics is whether the broad peasant class has rallied or not, and our basic objective shall be the raising of the class consciousness of the peasants. 
whether they have advanced along the path of broad-based armed struggle. Movements based on partial demands shall intensify class struggle. The political consciousness of the broad masses shall be raised. The broad peasant masses shall be roused in making sacrifices. The struggle shall spread to newer areas. The movements for partial demands may take any form, but the communists shall always propagate the necessity of higher forms of struggle among the peasant masses. Under no circumstances shall the communists try to pass the type of struggle acceptable to the peasants as the best. In reality, the communists shall always carry on propaganda among the peasants in favor of revolutionary politics, i.e., the politics of armed struggle and gun collection campaign. Despite this propaganda, the peasants will possibly decide to go on mass deputations and we shall have to conduct that movement. In times of white terror, the effectiveness of such mass deputation must in no way be underestimated, because these mass deputations will increasingly draw peasants into the struggle. Movements on partial demands are never to be condemned, but it is a crime to conduct these movements in the manner of economism. It is a crime, moreover, to preach that movements on economic demands will automatically take the form of political struggle, because this is worshipping spontaneity. Such movements can show the path to the masses, help develop clarity of outlook, inspire in making sacrifices. At every stage of the struggle, there is only one task. Unless that task is done, the struggle will not reach the higher stage. In this era, that particular task is the politics of armed struggle and the gun collection campaign. Whatever we may do without carrying out this task, the struggle will not be raised to the higher stage. The struggle will collapse, the organization will collapse, the organization will not grow. Similarly, there is only one path of India's revolution, the path shown by Lenin, building up the people's armed forces and the republic. Lenin has said in 1905 that these two tasks must be carried out wherever possible, even if these were not feasible in regard to the whole of Russia. Chairman Mao has enriched this path shown by Lenin. He has taught the tactics of people's war, and China has attained liberation along this path. Today, that path is being followed in Vietnam, Thailand, Malaya, Philippines, Burma, Indonesia, Yemen, Leopoldville, Congo, in different countries of Africa and Latin America. That path has also been adopted in India, the path of building the People's Armed Forces and the rule of the Liberation Front, which is being followed in Naga, Mizo, and Kashmir areas. So the working class will have to be called upon and told that it must lead India's democratic revolution, and the working class will have to carry out this task by providing leadership to the struggle of its most firm ally, the peasantry. So, it is the responsibility of the working class to organize the peasant movement and raise it to the stage of armed struggle. The vanguard of the working class will have to go to the villages to participate in armed struggle. This is the main task of the working class. Quote, collect arms and build up bases of armed struggle in rural areas, unquote. This is called the politics of the working class, the politics of seizure of power. We shall have to rouse the working class on the basis of this politics, organize all the workers and trade unions. This slogan does not raise the political consciousness of the working class. 
This does not certainly mean that we shall not organize any more trade unions. This means that we shall all not get the party's revolutionary workers bogged in trade union activities. It would be their task to carry on political propaganda among the working class, i.e., to propagate the politics of armed struggle and gun collection campaign, and build up party organization. Among the petty bourgeoisie, also our main task is political propaganda and propagation of the significance of peasant struggle. That is to say, on every front, the responsibility of the party is to explain the importance of peasant struggle and call for participation in that struggle. To the extent we carry out this task, we shall reach the stage of conscious leadership in the democratic revolution. Opposition to this basic Marxist-Leninist path of the party is coming not only from revisionists. The revisionists are taking the path of class collaboration straight away, so it is revolution. The bourgeois parties had to come to power, and there was also power in the hands of workers, peasants, and soldier Soviets. Because of the existence of this dual power, leadership of the working class became effective, and only when in these Soviets the petty bourgeois parties Leadership of the working class became effective, and only when in these Soviets the petty bourgeois parties handed over power to the bourgeoisie did it become possible for the working class to accomplish the October Revolution. They do not analyze the objective conditions of India. They do not take lessons from the struggles that are being waged in India. The main cause of success of the Russian Revolution was the correct application of the tactics of the United Front. The question of United Front tactics is equally important in India, too. But the tactics of India's democratic revolution will be different in form. In India also, in Naga, Mizo, Kashmir, and other areas, struggles are being waged under petty bourgeois leadership. In the democratic revolution, therefore, the working class will have to march forward by forming a united front with them. Struggles will break out in many other new areas under the leadership of bourgeois or petty bourgeois parties. The working class will also enter into alliances with them, and the main basis of this alliance will be anti-imperialist struggle and the right to self-determination. The working class necessarily admits this right, together with the right to secession. Although those who dream of revolution in India along the path of October Revolution are revolutionaries, they are not capable of providing a bold leadership because of their doctrinaire outlook. They do not realize the significance of peasant struggles and thus unconsciously become propagandists of economism within the working class. They are unable to assimilate the experiences of the people of Asia, Africa, and Latin America. A section of them becomes disciples of Che Guevara and fails to emphasize the task of organizing the peasantry main force of India's democratic revolution. Consequently, they inevitably become victims of left deviation. So we shall have to pay special attention to them and help them gradually educate themselves. Under no circumstances should we be intolerant in regard to them. Besides, there is amongst us a group of revolutionary comrades who accept the Chinese party and the thought of the great Mao Zedong and also accept that as the only path but they view the book, quote, How to Be a Good Communist, unquote, as the only road to self-cultivation and are consequently led into a serious deviation. The only Marxist road to self-cultivation, taught by Lenin and Chairman Mao, 
is the path of class struggle. Only through tempering in the fire of class struggle can a communist become pure gold. Class struggle is the real school of communists, and the experience of class struggle has to be verified in the light of Marxism, Leninism, Mao Zedong thought, and the lessons have to be taken. So the main point of party education is application of the teachings of Marxism, Leninism, and class struggle, arriving at general principles on the basis of that experience, and taking back to the people the principles summed up from experience. This is what is called, quote, from the people to the people, unquote. This is the basic point of party education. These revolutionary comrades are unable to realize this fundamental truth of party education. As a result, they commit idealist deviations in regard to party education. Chairman Mao Zedong has taught us that there cannot be any education apart from practice. In his words, quote, doing is learning, unquote. Self-cultivation is possible only in the process of changing the existing conditions through revolutionary practice. Revolutionaries of the world unite. Long live the revolutionary unity of workers and peasants. Long live Chairman Mao Zedong.